conspiracy and mystery make for ripe subjects. Walk the twisting, turning avenue towards the truth about the Decca tapes, right here on Radio Drama Revival. Hello, and welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your host, Elena Fernandez Collins. Today, we're interviewing Lex Notebaum, creator of Decca tapes, which we featured last week. Lex started out in advertising and marketing in Amsterdam and worked in that industry until he quit in order to pursue his creative career. Before jumping into creating the Decca tapes, he went on a European bike tour. I asked him about writing practices, about that bike tour, and about the core concept of unreliable narrators as the main voices in conspiracy fiction. The Decca Tapes is a hard podcast to talk about in an interview if you don't want your audience to be completely spoiled in the first 10 minutes. To that end, Lex and I agreed on a spoiler zone. The first half of this interview will be questions that don't require having listened to the entire series and didn't require referencing that overarching plot and resolution. The second half is the spoiler zone, and I do recommend you do not progress beyond this point if you haven't finished listening and if you care about that kind of thing. Please be aware that this interview contains discussion of memory loss and the prison industrial complex. So thank you for coming on the show, uh, Lex. We're really, really excited to talk to you about the Decca Tapes. Yeah, thanks um, for having me. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of a legendary show. So <laughs> when, when I got the email, I was like, now I'm in the club. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks. <laughs> um. Uh, on the podcast, uh, one thing real quick, right? You talked about how you quit your job in advertising and took a bike tour through Europe before you started production on the Deca tapes. Um, yes. Tell me about the bike ride and about the transition that you made from your traveling vacation um, to working independently on a creative project. Um, yeah, that's that's an interesting question because it was it was a really good way to transition. Because when you're, it was a pretty extreme bike ride. Uh, first of all, because uh, the distance was insane. Uh, to make it, we had to cover like sometimes 180 kilometers a day. Um, wow, that's that's a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah uh, and but secondly, because uh, I'm not a professional or long time biker, and neither was my buddy. Uh, so, so that made it even even more uh, hard, and you kind of you kind of have to get yourself in a kind of trance to make it through the motions every day, um, and that kind of clears your mind. So by the time I came back, I was uh, yeah really ready to just sit down and write an honest story, um, and I had the main concept already, but I had to write all the episodes. So. Mm-hmm coming back from like a hectic advertising uh, life and using like three weeks of cycling and torturing my body to, to clear your mind was I think <laughs> unconsciously the best the best way of getting myself out of that world and into a more introspective creative space. So yeah, it was great. That's amazing. Yeah, no, uh, bikes terrify me. I actually never learned how to ride a bike. So this is incredibly oh, wow. impressive to me. Um, for our non-kilometers audience, 180 kilometers is about 110 miles. 
Um, yep. Which so is doable, just, but if you do it three weeks in a row, yeah, <laughs> you'll feel that's, it. That's a, that's, a, that's a lot of kilometers. Yeah. Um. yeah, and again, we weren't, we weren't, we, we prepare, there's a difference between preparing and being properly trained. We yeah, weren't, absolutely. We weren't properly trained to, to do this, which no. made it more interesting, I think. Yeah, fair. Where did you go through Europe? So we went um, through uh, the Netherlands, leaving from Amsterdam, through Belgium, uh, through uh, France, across the mountains, through Spain, into Portugal. So pretty much the entire, uh, apart from Scandinavia, the entire continent from north to south. Yeah, that's a lot of countries. Yes. That's incredibly impressive. Uh, I can see why that would require this like trans state in order to make it through <laughs> yeah there's there's like dudes twice my age who, who would do it without a problem but those are like you know hardcore lifetime cyclists and they wouldn't yeah. they, they would first of all they wouldn't be as impressed as i am with myself and secondly they, they wouldn't make such a symbolic melodramatic thing out of it but i don't care <laughs> that's just nah. that's just how we roll <laughs> Yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. I know from from previous um, articles that I read um, about the Deca tapes that you read an article that inspired the Deca tapes, which we can't talk about here because it's spoilers. That's um, right. But what other things influenced the show, either in terms of the script and the plot, or the the music and the sound design? Yeah, that that article really really set it off. But another huge influence was. Uh, the three Southern Reach books. I don't know if you're <gasps> familiar yes. with them. Yeah. Yes, the Jeff Vandermeer Southern Reach books. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I only realized this afterwards, but but it's it's so <laughs> obvious that it's that it's undeniable. Um, uh, but but there's an expedition um, of women that travels into a, a, let's say mysterious area. Um, and they use their um, uh, function within the group as their names. Yeah. Um, but that's yeah. it. Conceptually, they're still themselves. And of course, in the decatapes, we can talk about this without spoiling. It's a group of people mm-hmm. whose identity has completely uh, been uh, overtaken by their function. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so the guy who's called uh, the cleaner, all everything that that moves him everything his entire worldview is based around him being the cleaner um and i was reading those books while uh or i finished them close to when i started writing and only afterwards i realized of course i stole this from him um uh, and 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 conceptualized it in a different way but still it's undeniable that the first inspiration of building a group dynamic around what what you're supposed to do that's completely out of those uh, uh, three books very different story but that that was a huge yeah. huge inspiration and another huge inspiration was um i was watching lots and lots of uh, david lynch interviews in which he talks about um never losing track of the initial idea and and really focusing on that and letting that initial initial idea come to life instead of conceptualizing it over and over again. Um, uh, yeah, and I just kept rewatching YouTube clips of him saying that while I conceptualized <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> uh, 
uh, no, but do you see what I mean? It's really, it's yeah. really uh, hard, hard to not reinvent yourself to give you a good mm-hmm. feeling at the end of the day because you're like, ah, I thought of this new aspect and I did a good job. No, yeah. Just make the make the initial intent grow um, and show its um, uh, many facets. Um, it's it's so hard to do, and I'm I'm not good at it yet. But yeah, yeah. that was also a big You're inspiration. Right. I love that. I love that so much. For um, for audience members who are interested in the Southern Reach trilogy, you might know it actually um, because they made a movie out of the first book, Annihilation, with Natalie Portman. Um, did you? So did the books you read the are, books? but I love the books. Um, I I adore them. They are exactly the kind of like weird surrealism exploration into like humanity and memory and and group commu- communication and dynamics that I love. Um, yes. Like super amazing. If you haven't read them and you like the weird shit, you gotta yes. like the weird shit because Vandermeer <laughs> only writes weird shit. Okay. <laughs> You probably the chances of whoever is listening to yeah. this interview is pretty pretty big that they like the weird. Pretty shit. big, it's yeah. pretty big, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I highly recommend them. Uh, they're just so good, especially the first book. Like, damn. Yeah, and yeah, I've um, and on books. like a completely different side of the spectrum. I was reading a lot about. Um, uh, I'm not sure if this is an English word, but but panopticums. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, so so um, they were experimenting with different uh, prison systems, one of which being one where you're where you can't see the guard, so you're not sure if you're being watched. So the prisoners will just assume they're being watched um, and behave. Mm-hmm. That was the theory, um, mm-hmm. and that made me like delve into, um, yeah, more of a philosophical uh, stances on what it is to be imprisoned. So the the music um, is original to the show, right? Um, And it contains a lot of context clues for what we're listening to. Each character has their own motif and soundtrack. So uh, first, what can your audience listen for throughout the eight episodes in the music, right? I love asking creators, like, could have original scoring. Like, what is it that audiences can particularly listen for in the music as they're experiencing the story? Yeah, so this um, th- this was so much work because I I went completely the wrong direction uh, in my first uh, f- uh, versions. So oh, pretty no. early on, I had this idea of um, making a soundtrack for each. So um, so maybe for context, it's a group of ten people, and each episode is uh, uh, from a different from a, the perspective of a different member of the group. So through the shifting perspective, you learn what's going on. Um, and and so each episode there's there's a there's another narrator and I wanted to have each um, I wanted to create a soundtrack for each narrator like you said but the problem is that uh, in my first version I made um, a soundtrack for the narrator all the way through and let's get into the the technical details of storytelling but um, it didn't work <laughs> for some reason and I couldn't I couldn't figure out what mm-hmm. why but then. Uh, at some point, I realized that sometimes uh, the one, the theme you need to hear is of whomever is the protagonist um, of that mm-hmm. part of the story. So, so um, it's not always the narrator who's pushing forward uh, the story. Um, uh, so, so um, you guys aired the first episode before this interview, right? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first yeah, episode. Yeah, so in that interview, the cleaner is the narrator, um, mm-hmm. but the protagonist is clearly the cook, who is the only rebelling party. Yep. Uh, um, so her theme is really important in that first episode because she's the one, because her theme is about being disoriented, uh, having to uh, ask um, awkward questions. The theme is much more, it's claustrophobic, mm-hmm. while the cleaner's theme is much more staccato, about staying in line, about keeping things orderly. Um, uh, so you can see how, how I had to play with that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, as to what audiences can uh, expect, there's, there's, there's many, many, many Easter eggs in every episode. <laughs> and I'm sure yeah. 90% will never get uncovered uh, because I've hit them too well. <laughs> uh, but, but it surprised me actually when, the, when, the, when I started uh, releasing the show, how many details got picked up really really uh, uh soon but there's there's some theoretical like hardcore easter eggs in there which maybe one day i should just i should just uh uh reveal the secrets because they're fun <laughs> but maybe i shouldn't i'm not sure but if you're if you're if you're like an audio audio geek there's there's lots of secret stuff in there to to discover i love that Another show that people might be familiar with uh, that also has a ton of Easter eggs and and secrets right built into the music um, is Marsfall. Um, yeah, yeah, Marsfall is is another one that does that. So I love this role yes. of of music. Um, I think that music often gets like a, a short shrift um, yes. in in some in some spaces, especially spaces that are visually oriented. Um, so what? What is the role of music for you in storytelling in general? Um, yeah, huge. I mean, on a, like everybody who loves movies, um, at least subconsciously loves music because mm-hmm. that's, that's at least 50%, if not more in some cases, uh, in my opinion. Um, to get back to Lynch, uh, uh, images and sounds flowing together in time, that's a movie. Uh, so you need both mm-hmm. um uh and for me it was it was it was a breakthrough because i've always written a manuscripts um uh, and i've made music as two separate worlds and then uh, when i had the idea for this story and it and it didn't work um as a manuscript and for some reason i thought it would work as audio and then i discovered this whole um audio drama podcast world those two worlds mm-hmm. came together and it kind of uh, it kind of blew my mind how obvious it was that I was working on, like I was making concept albums and stuff like that and writing stories. Why, why not combine the two? Um, <laughs> uh, and for me, the big, uh, the big plus is that you're able to um, have the characters uh, do what humans do in real life. So make, so, so keep the tempo up and make the conversations realistic and not really descriptive, right? To try and make it as, mm-hmm. as real as possible. Um, and in literature, when you delve into the more introspective, abstract, emotional dimension of what's going on, you can have the music do that, right? So, um, so I really tried to stretch that, um, also in sound design. So sometimes you'll hear, um, mm-hmm. Uh, like a like a uh, a fire, but there's not there's not a literal fire because it's impossible uh, to be a fire at wherever they are. Um, uh, but but that's a way of of um, extrapolating what's going on uh, inside the heart of the narrator. So that way it frees up the music, takes over the abstract part, and the writing is all about making the characters real. 
yeah, we have we have also done a couple of of podcasts that sort of play with this concept, right? Where where the music, what it does is that it 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 focuses on the abstract concepts. Um, yeah. Uh, in order to, well, in, in some cases, right, not in not in yours, but in order to just sort of heighten emotion and feeling, right? But here, yeah. right, other than that, it's also helping you free up space for um, for what it is that you want to do with music and with the narrators. Yeah, it's a, it's a very information-dense show, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, yeah. So I needed, I needed space because... Uh, the first versions of the script were were too were asking too much of a listener who's maybe driving to work or mm, I don't know mm-hmm. uh, and and sometimes I feel maybe it's still on the verge of um, being too information dense here and there uh, but but music helped yeah free up the space just just like you said. One of the strengths of monologue-based found footage style, right, is the awesomeness of the unreliable narrator, um, yes. which is a concept that Decatapes plays with throughout. Um, yes. And we can hear in, in the first episode very clearly, right, um, with the cleaner's focus on on cleaning and not wanting to, like, the way that he perceives the cook's um, uh, the actions, right, and words. What's okay. the importance of the unreliable narrator and recognizing their unreliability, not just in fiction stories, but in how our real stories play out in things like the media and advertising? Yeah, so um, I'm so happy you framed it like this because uh, I mean, the show has been received really well, um, but but the only places where it wasn't received as well was because of it being monologues um and that's and that and that kind of hurt my feelings extra because <laughs> the whole concept is yeah. impossible to do without it being monologues because it's exactly. built as you said around uh um yeah the the, the memory the untrustworthy memory of an individual mm-hmm. um yeah so that was one of the main concepts to build on and i think um in like in the day and age right now it's of course this this um untrustworthiness of 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 narratives is like magnified by by social media obviously by by uh, the internet maybe uh, in the largest sense so so i could have told that story through like a huge context um, but I thought it would be interesting to use the dynamics you see in the world right now and make them really small, um, like a group of mm-hmm. 10 people who interact by talking to each other. Um, um, that's, that's, that's really basic dynamics. But then mm-hmm. um, them having to talk about their day to a microphone, to something that doesn't respond, uh, I think... Um, uh, I think everybody will automatically start defending whatever it is they did. Uh, mm-hmm. And what's really interesting to me is when you think about uh, your actions and where they come from, you kind of don't have that much control in the moment, right? We're really good at reflecting and, and selling ourselves a narrative about why we did certain mm-hmm. things. But mm-hmm. if you try and analyze the second you started something or responded in a certain way, most of the time we're not sure where that stuff comes from. So you're kind of witnessing yourself 
um, uh, in a way. And, and that's why I think it's very human that we're unreliable narrators. I think we are un unreliable narrators because we, we have to build mm -hmm. this narrative about ourselves. It becomes dangerous when we start uh, using that skill to tell others um, uh, uh, what the truth is or what the mechanics of this world are. Um, uh, mm -hmm. And that's what's happening now. Uh, in the media a lot that everything well first of all uh, 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 we're not we're not being honest about the fact that we're unreliable unreliable narrators and second of mm -hmm. all we need to reflect on everything for some reason everybody reflects on everything uh, as this unre unreliable narrator so uh, so so that dynamic is so weird and it makes the concept of truth so obscure so i thought it would be really interesting to 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 grab that and use it on the smallest dynamic possible, which is a, a tiny group of people mm -hmm. who have to try and get through the day together. I love that. I love that. I think that this this concept of all of us, like of people like using this um, this narrative that they have sold themselves um, and using their status um, in order to promote this narrative is i think something that uh marginalized groups in particular are are yes. really familiar with right because this is just how history books were written right it's yes. people selling selling their narrative and er like they're all unreliable narrators and they continue to be so because we do all of this perception and reflection from the the point of of life that we live and it, it's like, interesting that in all of history the good guys always won the war how is right. that possible? Yep. <laughs> it it must be that the winner gets to uh, design the narrative and exactly. guess who's the good guy in that narrative. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Hello, colonizers. Um, yes. <laughs> quarantine, right? And then the pandemic kind of threw everyone's schedules for everything out the window, like yeeted straight into space. Um, <laughs> but uh, what have you been working on? lately um uh i've been working on a dutch story uh, which consists of uh, a novel and a podcast um so through uh, so the deca tapes um because of the deca tapes i got asked uh yeah at many different kind of creative uh, companies to come and talk about uh, what made me sit in a room for a year and record uh, a podcast <laughs> <laughs> and, and and amongst them publishers so i i got to meet um uh, fiction publishers and, and and one of them um had me pitch a bunch of concepts and uh, so now i'm working on my first novel which is uh, uh awesome and kind of a dream come true um and so we're making um a novel that um takes place in a in a former soviet state that actually doesn't exist uh, um, mm -hmm. and the podcast is, is in the same place, but it's, um, from a different perspective. So it's, so the book is one perspective and the podcast is a different perspective, but the narrative is set up in a way that you can either only read the book or only read the podcast or first listen to the podcast and then the book or the other way around. Um, uh, and it'll work, uh, mm -hmm. it'll work both ways and it's really freaking hard, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. This is, uh, your website says that it's like the man with a thousand faces. Yeah, that's faces. it, the man with a thousand faces. Is yeah. that? Yeah, and actually the yeah. podcast is called um, uh, The Woman with a Thousand Faces. Oh, yeah. love it. Love yeah, it. So This is very exciting. I love, um, 
I, I love this like multimedia work that we're seeing a lot of in in audio now, like up like a more of in audio now, like where audio has been designed for audio, but is is tied to something else at the same yes. time, right? It's not that the podcast came after or or the book came later, right? Yeah. But that there's this intentional multimedia experience. Yeah, I just I I never um, really got like in the case of Southern Reach, like we're talking about. Um, it's mm-hmm. kind of an interesting example mm-hmm. because he made the movie based on his memories of the book. So he only read them once. So it's like vaguely based on it, uh, which is which is more yeah. interesting. But still, it's kind of the books mm-hmm. work because they're, they're books. Why not tell a different story in that universe that's, that's perfect for cinema, you know? Uh, I never got the whole adaptation thing. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So I love, (laughs) I love to think of an idea for a story as like almost a sun in a universe. And then you can build planets that can exist around that particular sun. Um, So in this Mm -hmm. case, it's this, this uh, weird country that doesn't exist. Uh, And the podcast is like a bunch of phone conversations. That's why it works in audio. And the book is like a bunch of reports, witness reports and uh, and stuff like that. That's why it works in a book, you know? Uh, I just, I love playing with, yeah. the, with the medium like that. And I also love um, expanding a universe because uh, you force yourself to really build a world before you get started and think of all the mm-hmm. uh, uh, like insane details uh, <laughs> before you start typing because otherwise you're you're well in my case you, you I could be halfway through the book and completely corner myself uh, for uh, in the podcast you know um, so I'm forced to think yeah. through the entire world which is of course uh, crazy but yeah that's that's what we're talking <laughs> right now because we're not right in the head <laughs> that's really cool I'm very excited for this yeah, work. I'm hoping, um, I'm hoping we're, I'm already talking, we're in early, early stages, but um, we're already talking about possibilities to having it translated to uh, English. So, so yeah, I really hope that's going to happen. Yes. Fingers yeah. crossed. Fingers crossed. For our Dutch audience, we have some, we have some people in the Netherlands. Um, just look out for this, I guess. Yes. It sounds very exciting. <laughs> I'll be, I'll be spamming um, it on DECA uh, channels, I'm afraid. <laughs> Good, um, as you should. Uh, self promotion is not bad. <laughs> no, um, that's true. To message to all independent yes. creatives that are scared of self promotion. Yeah, just for, for uh, the record, I've spent a year <laughs> making the show and then a year promoting it, only promoting it. So never yep. underestimate, <laughs> never underestimate the importance of of marketing. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to ask the question that I'm sure I'm sure that everyone has asked you. Um, but since you talked about expanding universes, um, is season two still in the works for the DECA group universe? Um, or on the, on the plate, I guess. Well, it's, I'm, I'm going to make a season two for sure, but, uh, I need money. Um, (laughs) right. Uh, yeah. So, so the DECA story in my mind is, um, three seasons, um, that's what it takes to complete the narrative. And there's uh, one spin-off story, uh, which I've already made. Um, uh, you can... You, mm, puzzle box, yeah, yeah. right? Uh, and, and once... Yeah, with those three big stories and the one spin-off story, that's then the whole... Th- that's the whole uh, story, like, I, like I've originally mm-hmm. uh, envisioned it. Um, and I know... I, 
so I know the entire concept of the second season, the third, very roughly, but the second pretty detailed. The yeah, the 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 big problem is I funded the first one uh, out of my own pocket, and it was uh, really expensive mm-hmm. for the production level. Like yep. like mastering it like this alone is expensive. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so either uh, I get really rich. Uh, <laughs> maybe by selling a bunch of books or something i don't know uh, uh then i'll start or um i'm also yeah uh how do i say this discreetly talking to parties that i might um work together with in getting this thing off the ground mm. uh, mm-hmm. yeah so yeah. money is the big thing yeah. and um yeah don't hold your breath because uh <laughs> like if like say the say theoretically tomorrow somebody offers me uh, the full budget that that would mean tomorrow i start writing the first sentence of the first uh episode so there's yeah yeah mm-hmm. there's lots of work to be done but there's still at minimum a year's worth of yeah, work ex- right uh, yes, in before release in the, so if yeah. tomorrow i get the money yep. it'll still take a year for it to to come out so that's that's yep. the bad news Absolutely. and uh, like I know you shouldn't say this ever, but the good news is that it's really, really good. <laughs> like the concept, I've I've uh, like talked the concept through with some people that I really trusted on helping me uh, uh, read the screenplay for the first or the script for the first season, uh, and these are mm-hmm. critical, like like. Uh, critical people and they're just as, as excited as I am. So one way or another, I'm, I'm going Good. to make this one day. Um, uh, and I'm also going Good. to make season three one day, but yeah, yeah. Don't hold your breath and uh, I'll be working on cool other stuff in the meantime, which hopefully also satisfies uh, DECA fans. Uh, for those of you listening, uh, stay tuned for the credits on the Patreon for the Deca tapes and how to support Lex in making this new season. Thank you. <laughs> if you have a bunch of money, yes. you know. <laughs> Give it to me. <laughs> Radio Drama Revival has been showcasing fiction podcasts and elevating the voices of their creators for 13 years. If you've enjoyed this show, if it's helped you or healed you, or done the unforgivable and increased your episode queue, there are a couple of ways to support our continued existence. First, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash radiodramarevival. We have a special Discord server for all our patrons, where we organize monthly meetups with listening parties, silly and informative PowerPoint presentations on podcasting, and more. Second, don't forget about our ticker tapes. For a small fee, you can have us put a little message right here. I'll read the message, and they can be a birthday card, a quick podcast advert, a casting announcement, whatever you have that needs an audience like this one. You can learn more at radiodramarevival.com slash ticker tape. As you continue, you're now entering the spoiler zone. All aboard. Um, so at this point, I'm going to transition us into the spoiler zone. Um, so all of the questions that I'm going to ask you now are um, big thought philosophy questions that are tied with the intrinsic core of the show and the stuff that we don't know when we listen to the first episode. Awesome. Um, so first, I need to know, what was the article that you read that inspired the show? And and tell me what about it sparked the need to craft the story that we have. Okay, so the article was about... Um, uh a spacecraft 
landing on a distant planet and it had been traveling for decades um and this this sparked my imagination of the weird the weird job some uh, a team at, at nasa must have that they that they prepare everything for this mission send it out and probably not all of them are even alive anymore right um mm -hmm. uh, so that sparked my imagination that there would be a point where we would be physically able to visit uh distant um uh, planets or or uh, other uh, uh, galactic bodies but um but you wouldn't survive the journey because it would simply take too long right so that's that that also fascinated me mm -hmm. and then i thought well you could of course make the journey and then came the major spoiler if if it if it was a generation ship right so it wouldn't be you uh, but it would be your offspring mm -hmm. that um that got there um uh but then but then i thought that's a pretty shitty deal right <laughs> so mm -hmm. it must be <laughs> uh, uh, to do that voluntarily um well you wouldn't or the rewards would be great um but then of course uh the first the first one is easier so well long story short the only way to to get there to have to get people to do that um would be to make a miniature a civilization where where they would feel um uh, it was the right place to to have offspring um, um mm -hmm. uh, yeah so so that mm -hmm. so the the article was about the length of the journey not related to human life um uh, i i made that step and i really liked i really liked the sense like the sense of the slaves in egypt building the pyramid right so so doing something mm -hmm. doing something um huge and symbolic and something that uh, uh that's in all the history books but the way they did it was so ruthless like like that contrast was really interesting to me for a reveal um uh, and to have that contrast work i knew i couldn't i couldn't reveal the purpose up until the very end because first you had to get to know these people right if you if you call them the slaves mm -hmm. it's you, you of course feel empathy um, but it's harder to identify with them. So, so that's when I knew it had to be a plot twist um, because, because first you really had to become a part of the group uh, before you would reveal the purpose of their journey. And I think I thought that that would be the only way to get that pyramid um, uh, contrast across. Long answer, but article, article, about, a, answer article about a spacecraft. <laughs> article about a spacecraft landing several decades after <laughs> yes. it launched. Um, yeah. Uh, so, um, gosh, okay. Which one of these questions do I tie in here? Woof. The prison system is completely yeah. privatized. And so the DECA group runs this, um, private prison system where they test, uh, these slow ships, um, where you build this, um, like you said, this sort of like generation ship. I, I have like to a mining colony. I've got like 5,000 questions. Okay. Um, <laughs> but the one the one that I want to that I want to focus on a little bit is this um this concept that is embedded in this sense for the generation ship that you have designed right which is that it's a that it's a shitty deal and in particular right these are the offspring of prisoners yes. um who are being sent to a mining colony uh and are living 
uh, a, like a life sentence for their parents, yes. right? And for, for their grandparents, um, for their ancestors. Um, you know, just tell me a little bit more about this, um, about this concept of like intergenerational trauma and um, sort of expectancy that is that is placed on these on these people. Like, what went into this? Um, uh, so I'm this design here. Yeah. So so I'm fascinated with um, the emotional inheritance we carry without realizing it. Possibly. I mean, what do I know? But if you think of if you think of us as part of an evolutionary chain, um, right, indirectly with with our ancestors, but through our parents directly linked to them, they've raised us a certain way, which is, of course, um, uh, um, informed by their personality and their environment, but in a huge part, by the way, they were. Uh, raised by their parents. Mm -hmm. So we're probably inheriting uh, traumas from generations before us, right? There's, there's all these, mm -hmm. there's all these, and also positive things, um, of course. Uh, there's all these things informing the way we move through life without us realizing it, which are, which are linked to our family lines. Um, uh, then there's also, of course, society is informing the way those uh, uh, bloodlines are moving, right? If, you, if you're if you born, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, this is very obvious maybe, but like the DECA executive in the final episode draws the comparison with children in um, uh, projects and uses it as a justification, mm -hmm. which is hopefully to everybody listening uh, really fucked up. The horrifying yes. and 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 bad. Yeah. And I liked. Um, I, I maybe was a bit on the nose, but I but you don't hear the. It's a it's a phone conversation, right, with the executive, but you don't hear the the other one talking because I wanted it. I wanted mm -hmm. the listener to be on the phone with him uh, um, for the big morale. Um, uh, because I really wanted you to try and mm -hmm. step out of like the futuristic world and get get back to our world and reflect on this concept mm -hmm. of carrying your uh, family's or your your parents burden um uh, mm -hmm. like everybody does but then i thought how can i make this more extreme right how can i how can i um already throughout the story make this theme more prevalent and that's when um the 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 deleting the memory came in um, because okay. it's not perfect, right? There's still there's still something left. So so if if your long term memories are are erased, what what is your personality, right? What is what is the basic mm -hmm. mechanism of um, uh, uh, on which you operate? So so after their memories are deleted, they get instructions on how to live their life, and they and they get assigned a certain role. Um, but not all cleaners on all slow ships are the same, probably, right? We don't know, but uh, mm -hmm. but we must assume that our that our basic systems are also to a certain degree individual. So so those differ, um, and so that really freed that concept really freed me up to play with it in way. Well, take the farmer for example. He um, uh, well through a huge misunderstanding, he thinks he saves his parents from a from a 
uh, from a criminal enterprise, but actually his parents were part of it. Um, so he so he so he murders mm-hmm. the wrong people, and um, and he has these these flashbacks of of blood on his hands, but he projects that onto the situation he's in. Right, he almost starts believing mm-hmm. that he's the murderer himself, and everybody around him starts believing that he's the murderer. Um, uh, but what he's doing is trying to. Uh, reconcile with a past that he doesn't understand and that's exactly what happens to us in a way because uh, uh, we don't know what um, what burdens got carried over to us from I don't know seven generations ago so that that changes your whole look on what informs my memory what informs my behavior once you understand that that it could be old and and unknowable um, uh, you get to how important it is to to self-reflect in an abstract and really open-minded way. Um, um, mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean you're not scientific anymore. It just means you understand the power of uh, upbringing and environment. This... You're really, you're really Love letting this. me letting Love me this. rent no, this fine evening. Yeah, no, I am absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, I am. <laughs> That's what the show is for. Yeah. I ask wildly Good. like personal philosophical Good. questions, and I just let people rant. That's just that's that's what that's my yeah. role. But here. So, but so, but that question <laughs> that question is like the main. So with that mm-hmm. question, you really get to the main uh, motivator of building characters like this because they are they are both on an individual level. Um, completely without context on why they do what they do, except that they they just do it. Um, but also in a more broader sense, because they are they will have offspring uh, that will live a life that they will never see. Right. So on on both sides, there's a curtain. They don't know where they're from, and they don't know where they're going. And what happens with a group of people who uh, has curtains on both sides? They start mm-hmm. projecting meaning. Where of course the mystery function comes in, right? He's the, he's kind mm-hmm. of the, the the preacher. Yeah, he, yeah, he's kind of the the uh, societal emergency break. Like, is there is there a collective meltdown? Let's find meaning, and even mm-hmm. um, because like like everybody who heard the show knows he brings religion, uh, like some sort of religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, which um, which is actually based on an actual cult, but I'm not going to give away which one, uh, if you haven't figured out. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. uh, the whole sh- the whole concept is based on an actual cult, and you'll you'll see a lot of symbols there that I use. But um, yes, I suppose it would have been. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, that literally like as soon as you said like oh it's based on a real cult, I was just like wait what yeah, from a long long time and ago. then suddenly like. Yeah, from a very long time ago. So yeah, I'm not gonna. Yeah, everybody, let go if you have if you've listened already. Obviously, if you're listening to this part, I would hope that you've listened already. Um, yeah, uh, and you didn't figure that out. I I suggest you listen back and it's and piece it together. Oh, that's very interesting. Maybe I'll just say this. It there sometimes there's talk about uh, the philosopher who never wrote down his ideas. If you start searching there, you'll mm-hmm. you'll you'll end up at the right place. Um, but but what but the point <laughs> I wanted to make was. Um, so, so if you, if you don't understand where you came from and why it is you do what you do, and you don't understand where you're going, you project meaning. So that's why religion is introduced. But even the religion that the mystery function talks about, you could argue, um, two origin stories. You could argue the Deca group, 
completely orchestrated this and wanted this philosophy to be there. That's why uh, they always intended for the mystery function to be the priest. Uh, and they want them to worship their corporate logo because they're uh, uh, f a freaky dark corporation from the future. Uh, but you could yeah. also argue <laughs> that they only put in uh, the mystery function to have an unknown and to have a mystery. And what the mystery function does is project meaning onto himself. And there's corporate logos everywhere. So everywhere in his world, there's this logo, there's this shape. So he just assumes it's important and starts projecting uh, a meaning onto it himself, right? So. It doesn't have to be like, and, and, and I, of course, know for myself the answer to which one I would prefer, but maybe there shouldn't be one <laughs> because the whole concept is mm -hmm. um, uh, that we're unreliable narrators. So where does this narrative come from? Maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe we should just recognize it as unreliable and take what's good, right? So, yeah. I've written a lot of unpublished fiction in the past. Um, and a huge chunk of it is mysteries. So I know how complicated building mystery plots is. I cannot express to you how many times my mother found post-it notes lost to the ether after I left home with like the chef knife is under the sink, but it isn't the real murder weapon. Or like the woman in, in black in the doorway is, what was the ending of this one? I remember this one. The woman in black in the doorway is actually the, the daughter of the butler. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, I... Yeah. So uh, she like she would like send me like emails just like I found another one when I was in college. <laughs> just like, I'm sorry. Um, so I'd love to hear about your process for building the Decatapes mystery. Right. Did it come easy? Was it like pulling hen's teeth? What did you do to build this mystery that we have here? It was it was extremely uh, uh, difficult. Uh, um, first of all, because <laughs> I had to. Um, so I wrote manuscripts um, and I had to like, like relearn or retrain myself uh, to write a script for audio, which is, as you know, so completely different. Um, so, so that was, that, that took, that took a long time. And also I just wrote uh, to do that, right? I just, I just wrote, wrote, wrote. I knew, I knew a lot would be unusable, um, uh, but in the end, all that writing did help me build the world, uh, but none of that made it made it into the actual show. But that's that's more the craft part, um, like we talked about when you, when we talked about sound versus uh, a narration. Mm -hmm. But uh, for this story, um, maybe now that it now that it unfolds in the final episode, um, it feels like it it just that's just how the story should go. Uh, I feel. Uh, and that took so much work because because it was really hard to have two mysteries um, uh, work together uh, to come to the conclusion, right? So so the the entertainer uh, dies, um, and he has to die because the cook has to transition uh, to his uh, role, both to um, uh, both to break the order, right, and to to have it be a different slow ship thematically, but also to um, be able to have a positive impact. We were talking about intergenerational impact on the on the children that would end up at the mining colony, um, uh, uh, where we, in a way that that brings hope. Right? I didn't want it to be just dark. 
uh, I wanted to be to be a glimmer of hope. So I had to have the um, the murder mystery of the entertainer have a satisfying clue because he dies and that kind of drives the story who killed him. Um, uh, but also in a way that would give the cook uh, uh, enough space to go do her a big move at the end. So those two had to really work together. And it took me a, a, a really long time to come up with the concept of the entertaining, the entertainer doing his job too well uh, and killing himself <laughs> to do the, the ultimate, to create the ultimate unsolvable mystery that would, uh, uh, well, in a way, entertain um, uh, the group like forever, right? Uh, entertain. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, entertain. <laughs> Are are you not yes. entertained? And when I so so I so I had so many scenarios where there were like bizarre ways or or scenarios where it was one of the members of the group. But if it if it was one of the members of the group, I had to there had to be some consequences for this person, which would change the group dynamic, which would change um, uh, the whole clue of the cook just stepping in and taking over one part. Right. So it it made. It would have been a, a 12 episode show. It would stretch the ending totally. <laughs> uh, so it was so hard to, I knew there there had to be a way. And then, yeah, well, once you have it, it's so simple. But if he does it himself, I have none of those problems. And the two clues uh, perfectly tie into each other. Uh, um, yeah, and I remember the, like the, I remember the instant that I had that idea and then the second instant when I realized that solved the, the entire mystery and it gave me room to do two plot twists at the end, uh, I was so happy. But it took, it took, it took a lot, a lot, a it lot, a lot huh? of crunching. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I bet. Sounds yeah. like it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was fun. I mean, I love, I love that process of kind of unraveling your own mystery you you know the you know mm -hmm. there's uh, uh there's a solution but yeah the digging is fun too what is it yeah yeah uh it's it's fascinating i always loved it when when a when a plot would come together um and i when i like finally figured out the oh this is the way that i make this like uh, a mystery that's like readable and mysterious and not immediately solvable but when i reveal the answer to you you can find you can see the clues yeah. that that led there and i love um, i love how back. when you solve it it immediately yeah. gives you more um uh, ways to completely confuse the reader or listener in early so <laughs> so when when the whole children thing uh, like in my first mm -hmm. version, I didn't pay that much attention to uh, the very basic bi uh, biology of people having to procreate together. Um, uh, but then I realized <laughs> this uh, uh, this clue gives me so much ways to make to make the ship way weirder, right? So so with them getting rewards for having sex and stuff like that. Uh, 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 in that way, the clue kind of kind of. Uh, gives you all these ways to make the mystery even more mysterious and more weird and awkward and disorienting, right? Um, them sleeping mm -hmm. together in uh, in double beds, in different shifts and stuff like that. That's all really weird. What kind of place is this, right? So, so I love how, mm -hmm. I love that feeling of a plot coming together and then, and then you reverse engineer all these random uh, uh, weird clues that hopefully no one will be able to put together too soon. <laughs> yeah i gotta say the first time i listened to this i remember stopping at sex badge and i was just kind of yes. like you know 
That seems not normal. <laughs> I'm still maybe I should maybe I should add those to my merch store. So the Decca tapes, like you like you presented, right? It presents slowly but thoroughly this conception of a dystopian capitalist future in space. Um there's been a lot of speculation and more recently, right, actual activity around the industrialization and militarization of space, because why not spread imperialism to the actual literal stars? Um, what are the um, what are the, the ideas and, and the fears, right, and the concepts that you have about our future capitalist overlords um, that went into building the DECA group and this? Uh, distant far future universe i think uh like i i think in i think humans uh exist on a very broad spectrum of uh, uh ranging from very evil to very good and everything in between so so mm -hmm. as a collective you hope that um uh that average that the average is positive right um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the only, but the only way to make sure that, on the whole, um, it becomes more and more positive is to reflect on the extreme uh, cases on the spectrum. So, uh, I personally don't believe that if the if the if civilization slowly evolves like it does now, that there will be ever something as extreme as the Decker Group. Um, uh, but I do think it's really important mm -hmm. to. Uh, to to put an extreme example like like that out there because um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like i mean i'm going really far in uh, efficiency for example because the only reason there are slow ships in the decker group is because it's cheaper right so all the personnel mm -hmm. that actually works at those mining facilities they get on a ship and a few months later they're there so technologically they're able to get a human to the place but because it's cheaper uh, uh, to use old mm -hmm. models, uh, they think of this whole scheme of of them having children on the on the ship. I mean, that's that's really really evil, right? That's that's only thinking in bottom yeah. lines, even even for uh, uh, dystopian standards. That's uh, that's a, that's a cold bottom line. Um, mm -hmm. But it's not so. So personally, I am not afraid that we're on the brink of creating a Decker group that that will privatize the market to a point where um, uh, the entire world is just a big bottom line. But I do think that just like a group of humans exist on the scale from evil to good, companies exist on that scale too, right? And the people working on those companies, mm -hmm. uh, in those companies also exist on that scale. So we have, to, we, have to, we have to constantly check ourselves to make sure that we're growing in the right direction. Um, and what's also interesting to me is that I'm like capitalism is is that's that's a dirty word, right? Uh, mm. it, it's it it it, mm -hmm. it 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 holds a lot of negative weight. But I'm not sure if the solution to fighting um, like corrupt systems is in fighting capitalism itself. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the, what the solution is. But but I do notice that a lot of the conversation and a lot of the discourse is focused on the system being capitalist on the whole and i'm not sure if that's um if that's the answer and just to give like a like a tiny look in the future that theme is what mm -hmm. will come back in the other uh, seasons because 
um, like there are some in in this season there are some references to Earth, so terms like double WDU and stuff like that get used as if the listener would know what that is, um, and that kind <laughs> of refers to uh, yeah the state of the Earth in this era, um, yeah and that's and yeah. Yeah, that, that's what I'll say about that. And I'll, maybe I'll just say that I'm reading a lot about the Cold War. So, so it's more about Ooh, systems. Um, it's more about the question of whether it's easy to point at the system as a whole and say, this is wrong. Or maybe it's not the whole system, but it's corrupt parts we should fight. I'm getting really abstract here, but uh, if, we're, if we're talking about the future oh, yeah, of capitalism, fine. we kind of have to. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of yes. have to, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I think as we as we get so technologically advanced um, and so globalized and closer and closer to expanding our civilization, um, all our both good and evil parts will get amplified, as we see in the weird, weird world we live in uh, today. So it's more and more important mm -hmm. to to think of extreme cases and reflect on those. Uh, uh, like as, mm -hmm. as journalists, but definitely as storytellers. So that's why a Decker group should mm -hmm. exist. Um, yeah, I think. Yeah, no, I love that. I, I, I was thinking about like this, um, uh, you know, this concept of like, well, the Decker, the Decker group, you don't think that like the Decker group is, is something that we're, we're headed towards in, in particularly, I think it's like, it's an extreme example. And one of the things that I was actually thinking about, um, uh, was is the school to prison pipeline yes. right that exists here in in the yeah. U.S. Um, and and elsewhere as well, um, but mostly the U.S. Um, uh, and and how prisons and and private prison builders in particular uh, are thinking about right the children, yes. um, particularly like the children of like black folks, in particular black children uh, as things that will continue to be funneled yeah. right into prison it's a workforce um, yeah and so so it is it's a it's it's a modern yes. slave labor um so the the social economic concept right that that you have dealt with really heavily here is private private prisons the privatization of prison yeah. systems um tell me a little bit about the prison system in the netherlands right because I, I know that there's a much heavier emphasis on on rehabilitation there at least discursively in public media and of course the u.s is is the place where we have what 666 pr imprisoned people for every 100,000. yeah um and then the netherlands is at 50 something i think i i, I wouldn't know um, but so, did you pull that up yeah it's 50 uh, yeah I, I looked I looked it up before before we talked. Yeah. Well, I looked up the Netherlands one. I knew the U.S. one. Yeah, it's um. it's it's very interesting because um, when you talk about um, both imprisonment and the prison system in a certain country, <clears throat> sorry, in a certain country, you're actually talking about that that entire society, right? Because you're mm -hmm. talking about. Um, uh, classes you're talking about social mobility the chances of climbing right of mm -hmm. climbing the ladders the, the the fair opportunities you get so there's two well there's a million but uh, uh you could boil it down to two dimensions i think uh, especially when you compare uh, our countries and and both those prison systems um 
because what's interesting as a European when looking at America is this narrative of the American dream. Um, mm. While I would argue that being born in the Netherlands, your chances of achieving an American dream are far, far, far better than when you're born in America. Um, and of course, this is a complicated comparison because the country is so much bigger. Um, uh, so mm -hmm. many, well, all of those factors. Um, but just working my way to prison systems, um, if uh, your society is, if it's hard to, to work yourself out of a certain position, uh, um, partly because of the freedoms in the market, I'm kind of making big jumps here, but um, uh, then it's also mm -hmm. way, way easier to get caught, right? To get caught in a certain situation. Mm. And if the market um, uh, rewards you for, uh, uh, for trying to get maximum value out of uh, whatever your privatized sector is, then those two things put together are like a recipe for disaster, right? For th then there's a mm -hmm. system that thrives if you don't get out of the rut you're in. Um, uh, and yep. yeah, that's, that's basically like, and you can't get out of the rut you're in because the system makes yeah. it hard for you so to you're do that. Caught. However, exactly. talented, unique, yep. driven, you're caught. And there's only you need extreme yep. luck to, you need so many factors to add up, right? To, to get out of that. So, mm -hmm. um, here in the Netherlands, because, because of it being much more of a welfare state, because it being so much smaller mm -hmm. uh, and and it's very small and very rich, right? Uh, so it's a completely different context. And in that completely different context, there's a prison mm -hmm. system that's <clears throat> not privatized, um, mm -hmm. uh, very much regulated, especially in comparison to the US. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, like you said, much of uh, a lot of work towards rehabilitation. But... If you look mm -hmm. at certain Scandinavian countries, they are they are way way farther in the whole re uh, rehabilitation thing than we are. Um, uh, we're pretty mm -hmm. clumsy, actually. There's, um, and I'm no expert on this whatsoever. I read whatever the press tells me. Oh yeah, I I read a couple a couple of I covered a couple of articles analyzing this uh, the rehabilitation in the Netherlands before I asked this yeah. question. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, so I'm no, I'm no. Yeah. So this lines up with what I read. I'm no yeah. authority, but it's just, it's just like you get if you get um, sent to like these facilities that are specialized in trying to rehabilitate you. You're a really extreme case, right? These are, these are mm -hmm. um, uh, like extreme sociopaths and and other types in that category. And the chances of of this rehabilitation succeeding are very very small. Um, uh, mm. And there's been some major incidents with people escaping and doing horrible things, uh, which, uh, again, brought up this whole debate of how you should, um, what you should do with, with people like this in your society, right? So, so, mm -hmm. so, so it's a healthier system in that people won't get caught in it as much. Of course, on a smaller scale, the same problems here. But, but, you, but on the other side of the spectrum, there's... Um, when it's this much of a welfare state, you do get a lot of discourse about, okay, this horrible thing happened because this this person could escape this rehabilitation facility. Aren't we being too empathetic, right? 
Um, uh, so it's a very mm. different discussion. And obviously for, for the Decca tapes, um, it's much more of an of a reflection on the on the American um, uh, issues mm -hmm. because um, in a way because of the way the market works, America is more capitalist. Um, well, not only mm -hmm. in a way it's it is more capitalist because it's it's it is it yeah. is more capitalist. Yeah. Don't worry, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, which makes my eat the yeah. rich. <laughs> <laughs> But it uh, and and uh, so it's a, so it's better um, uh, it's a better grounds to get my point across right about the dangers of of extreme mm -hmm. um, uh, of extreme freedom and extreme bottom line drivenness um, yeah mm -hmm. so it's a hard comparison yeah. but f for the story the American problem is more interesting. So I have like one last question here for us, um, which is getting getting back here to the the concept of of memory, yep. right? So we talked about we talked pretty heavily about like memory and and emotional inheritance and intergenerational trauma. Um, but something that I want to get into more, right, is this link between memory and personality and humanity and our ethical choices, um, right? So these prisoners have had their memories erased. They've forgotten all conception of who they are or what they've done, um, and they have had their right, like their primary function replaced with something designed for uh a sh uh, raising a ship, keeping a ship going, yes. right? A very capitalist bottom line kind of function. Um, but as I think people have heard throughout the show, they continue to demonstrate the personality qualities and traumas that partially, at least in part, right, led to their past choices um, or are involved with their past choices, maybe. So tell me, tell me about like what you think of memory and what role that it plays in our ethical choices right in in the in the things the actions that we take throughout life and how they like inform each other in particular the way that you discuss it on the show yeah so i'm afraid you're not going to like this answer <laughs> because eh. i've been i've been thinking about that uh, obviously because i had to design characters <laughs> in that context and the more i thought about it um, the more I came to the conclusion that I had no idea, it 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 has to yeah, be some balance between those things. But I have no idea what it is, and maybe it differs per individual. I don't know. So, um, yeah. So what I came up with in the end is that each of the ten characters um, uh, represents another blend uh, of those factors. So. Um, the cleaner is the most clean cut example. He's just um, uh, he's just a psychopath foot soldier, basically. Um, and that's mm -hmm. just uh, what he is, no matter in what context you put him. And throughout the episodes, each character um, uh, uh, will rely less and less on um, their, their previous lives and be more susceptible to uh, a different moral compass and um, uh, better adjusting to, to the situation they're in. So I had no idea, uh, but that opened up a possibility to play with that dynamic uh, for the different characters. Um, mm -hmm. It's really hard to not spoil the second season right now. So I'm... I'm <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm trying to. All right. Well, now y'all know. Now y'all know. The second season has has heavy stuff to do with capitalism and memory. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, it has. Yeah. Nature awesome. versus nurture. Uh, a lot. Mm. Yeah. Because basically, that's yeah. what it, that's that's almost what it comes down to, right? If you're mm. is this question? Yeah. Is right? there some main? Is there some main drive within you? that'll that'll find its way through whatever the context is or does the context build build that drive um and so i literally made a graph on a whiteboard with those two drives and i just plotted the characters um and that's how i built the characters uh, because because I thought that is I, I thought I don't know the singular best piece of information <laughs> about the deck of tapes that you have given me. Yeah, it's crazy conceptual. Of I course. made a graph, uh, uh, but but it does help. It did help me make them more human. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, yeah, because maybe it's true, right? That that some people are are mm -hmm. just more informed during their everyday by their core personality, and some people are more informed by their exterior and everything in between um so mm -hmm. the very conceptual cold graph made them made them more human but yeah i realize it's a it's a weird way to it's a weird no, way that. to make characters <laughs> but it all came Listen, you're, you're hitting I, the nail on the head because it all came from that philosophical yeah. question and me not knowing how to answer mm -hmm. it uh yeah mm -hmm. yeah no, I, the thing is that like the, the reason why I love this, right, is, well, one of the many reasons why I love this, but it also makes me think of like all of these uh, like memes online where you plot your characters on different yes. graphs that are usually like, like very silly graphs, like the McDonald's triangle, yes. right? Um, <laughs> that's what it makes me think of. I kind of, I kind of want you to make it into a meme. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I, I will probably, I will probably get a laugh from four people. But maybe it'll be worth it. If you liked what you heard, you can support the Decatapes at their Patreon at patreon.com slash the Decatapes. Radio Drama Revival runs on warm sunlight, fresh strawberries, and this green paper stuff capitalism says we need. If you'd like to help keep us afloat in featuring new, diverse, unique fiction podcasts and their creators, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash radio drama revival. And now we bring you our moment of Anne. You know, tiny foods, not like baby carrots and baby oranges, but like the mini brands, tiny food things that you can buy at Target and stuff. This isn't sponsored. I just really like them. And the goblin brain in me just wants to collect them all and hoard them, even though they're absolutely for children. That means it's time for the credits. This episode was recorded in the unceded territory of the Kalapuya people, the Klitskani Indian tribe, the Kaulitz Indian tribe, and the Atfalade tribe. Colonizers named this place Beaverton, Oregon. If you are looking for ways to support or donate to Native communities, Nicholas Gallinan and First Light Alaska are running a fundraiser to benefit the land back movement. All funds raised go to acquisition and land management funds of the Native American Land Conservancy, NALC, to repatriate land back to indigenous communities. This is not about removing people from the land. This is about recognition and respect for indigenous sovereignty and knowledge about ecosystems, climate, and caretaking of the land. You can donate to this initiative at www.gofundme.com slash f slash land back.
Our theme music is Reunion of the Space Ducks by the band Kylo Cos. You can find their music on Free Music Archive. Our audio producer is Will Williams. Our marketing manager and line producer is Ann Baird. Our researcher is Heather Cohen. Our submissions editor is Rashika Rao. Our associate marketing manager is Jillian Schrager. Our transcriptionist is Katie Yeomans. Our audio consultant is Eli Hamada McElveen. Our associate producer is Sean Howard. Our executive producers are Fred Greenhouse and David Reinstrom. Our mascot is Ticker Tape, the goat. I'm your host, Helena Fernandez Collins. This has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers, welcome. <laughs>